0: Welcome to the FPS Podcast Series. This is podcast number 11, Recovering Costs for COVID-19 and Sources of Funding. My name is Todd Hatherly, and I'm the Director of Program for Federal Publication Seminars. We're a leader in government contract training and professional development for over 60 years. Every year, Federal Publication Seminars trains thousands of businesses, federal agencies, and individuals on legal, regulatory, compliance, and accounting nuances found in the federal regulations through nationwide classroom, online, and in-house sessions. These podcasts are just a small sampling of important content you as a contracting professional can expect from attending an SFPS program. Whether in person or online, live or on demand, you cannot find another source with breadth and depth of experience, knowledge, and content anywhere. So please visit us at fedpubseminars.com for more information. With the arrival of COVID-19, many of us could not execute our job tasks in a normal and planned way. We had to adjust, and sometimes had that that cause delays in production shipment and product and services. We had to communicate much differently. This ultimately may cause contractors incur industrial costs that were not planned and throwing a new wrinkle into delivering products or services to the government in a timely manner. So joining me today to discuss how to recover costs that are related to COVID-19 is Paul Bailey from Capital Edge Consulting. Hello, Paul. How are you today?
1: Doing great. Thanks, thanks, Todd. Good morning. Yeah, we've had a lot of discussion, I would say, over the last couple of months about funding sources, uh, ways in which contractors can recover the cost associated with COVID nineteen, and there's there's probably you know two primary sections of the CARES Act where contractors can recover that money. The first is Section 1102 and 1106 of the CARES Act, the Paycheck Protection Program or Flexibility and Loan Forgiveness. And that is limited to small businesses and not necessarily federal government contractors. All small businesses can apply for this money and it would cover initially uh, 75%, up to 75% had to be used for payroll, and the remaining 25% for mortgage interest, uh, rent expense, utilities, business-related expenses. In the past week, the House and the Senate have approved a change to that. Now, it's payroll costs up to 60% in other business expenses, up to 40%. And then we have the Section 3610, which the federal government contractors are probably most uh, familiar with. That covers paid leave costs, the salary costs to keep employees of a federal government contractor and or subcontractor in a ready state. And that would also include allocated overhead, but No profit or fee. You're not allowed to recover profit or fee on 3610. It's also subject to availability of funds. So there's no entitlement to this. It's a permissive funding that is granted by the contracting officer. It's not mandatory. One of the things, at least for DOD, that you're going to be required to uh, have in order to get the 3610 funding is you need in writing the contracting officer establishing you as an affected contractor. So are you entitled to that money as the contracting officer determined that you are an affected contractor? That needs to be in writing for DOD. And largely the contracting officer is going to look to the new DFARS cost principle. So that's going to be DFARS 231 205 79, which is titled the CARES Act 3610 implementation. I would say that for those of you that are doing work with other agencies, whether it's HHS or Homeland Security, which received the majority of the 3610 funding, they would probably also look to similar requirements of the DFARS when they're auditing your COVID-19 request for 3610 money. When I look at the 36, when I look at at the DFARS cost principles, in order to establish the allowability of the cost going after 3610 money, it's going to be for paid leave taken by employees who are otherwise performing work approved by the federal government because they are at home, because the facility that they're working at has been closed, it's inaccessible. There's other restrictions as a result of COVID-19 that they can't access it. That facility may be state and local considerations that are preventing their ability to work at that facility. And so they've been granted, the employer has granted these employees a paid leave because they're also unable to telework because they can't perform their job duties remotely. Maybe when they're on site at the contractor site or the government's facility, they're performing in a SCIF. They are working from home. They don't have the appropriate secure connectivity to work from home they may be working on some contract work at home but you know where they would charge their full 40 hours per week they're not able to do that so maybe it's maybe they're being paid for some work at home remotely but not other work at home this has to be for paid leave taken between January 31st, 2020 and September 30th, 2020. So it may be still employees that are working remotely at home. And I'm certainly aware of contractors in that uh, condition where the states have not fully opened up even now as of uh, the middle of June. The contractor can apply for the 3610 money and it can be charged, they say, at appropriate rates up to an average of 40 hours per week. When we talk about appropriate rates and we think about the contract types, fixed price, T&M, costs reimbursable. And, you know, what I previously said was you're allowed to recover the cost of payroll and overhead, but not profit or fee. You're going to have to think about your T&M rates because we know that has a built-in profit or fee into those rates per hour. So that's likely going to have to be adjusted out so that you're not claiming that profit or fee so that you're only claiming the appropriate rate. And then the costs have to be segregated and identifiable in your records because at some point in time, somebody's going to come in and... Audit these costs. Somebody at least for DOD, you're going to see DCAA auditors come in to do that. Also think again, as I said, about the potential that you are able to work, do some work, but not all of your work. So it's average of 40 hours per week. You know, you may have 25 hours that you're able to work on other contracts. And so you wouldn't be claiming the full 40 hours for the week. So what do you have to do? I mean, we've seen recommendations from government and consulting and law firms that tell me that I've got to set up new accounts to accumulate the COVID costs. That's the easy part. I've set up new accounts, whether it be for salaries, whether it's for plexiglass shields out on the, out on the manufacturing floor, plant rearrangement, et cetera. I've set up those new accounts. What do I do with that now? you've got to come up with an allocation methodology. That's the more difficult piece of this. How am I going to allocate those costs to the contracts, to my fixed price TNM and cost reimbursable contracts so that I get maximum recovery so that I can claim the maximum amount against the 3610 CARES Act? So we'll talk about that in a minute here about the different allocation methodologies and the strategy, but you've also got to update your accounting system description that's going to describe those new accounts that you've set up to describe the new allocation methodology. You've got to also update if you're CAS covered, update your cash disclosure statement for those new accounts and how they're allocated. And if you've got cost reimbursable contracts next year, you will think about updating your incurred cost proposal schedule m to talk about uh, the new account structure that you've established and you want to make sure that you do this in a manner that you don't trigger a cost accounting practice change under CAS, where i've got to go back and maybe do a general dollar magnitude study or a detailed cost impact on the establishment of the new accounts but more so the allocation methodology to contracts or final cost objectives. So all of this is going to be subject to audit when DCAA comes in. And DCAA is going to be much more timely uh, with their incurred cost audits. They're they're caught up with their backlog, but still might be a year or two before you see the DCAA auditors come in to audit the incurred cost proposals where these costs were charged and what are the things that they're going to look for you know they're going to look for who are the employees that you're claiming cost against specific names of those employees what documentation do you have in place to show that they were unable to telework or perform their work remotely what contracts were they performing under What's the amount that you claimed and what were the dates of the leave that they took, the paid leave that they took? All of that is going to be auditable. And so we're going to be looking for contemporaneous records that you've kept during this period of paid leave, which is a little bit more difficult with everybody working remotely, gathering all of that documentation and making sure that you've got it ready and available for the audits a year or two from now. And for those of you who were doing contract claims during the overseas contingency contracts uh, phase, the Gulf War, our warfighters were uh, in the Middle East, you can recall that there was a very short memory of the auditors when they came in to perform these audits. Everyone seemed to have forgotten about the emergency and, you know, the hoops that the contractors had to jump through in order to support the war fighter, And there was, you know, I would say, not a complete record of contract actions that were kept or documentation that was kept. And those costs were questioned as unallowable costs by DCAA after the fact. It was very time-consuming to support those costs without the proper documentation in the file. So think about that as you're documenting COVID-19 costs that you're going to be claiming. So in addition to that, they're going to make sure that you've complied with all aspects, of, at least for DOD, 231-205-79 of the CARES Act. So make sure that you most importantly that you've got in place the det- written determination from the contracting officer of affected status. You need that now. And then also identify any credits that you've received. If I've claimed both the payroll protection program or flexibility costs under 1102 1106 was the was the forgiven loan. If I've claimed both that and 3610, questions going to come up, did I uh, double count the recovery costs? Do I have a credit that is due back to the government potentially for the 1106 forgiven loan of 1102? So you've got still, the. don't forget, you've got the FAR cost principle, the 31201-5 credits that requires you to give back any applicable portion of income, rebate, allowance, or credit related to an allowable cost and received by or accruing to the contractor. If you are applying for 3610 money under time and material and fixed price contracts, you're getting that money now. And so, what are you going to do about the credits if you also have the ppp under 1102 and the and the relief under 1106 you're going to have to factor that in now and potentially assume that you've gotten that relief or that credit that you're not going to have to pay back that money and and, and factor that into your 3110 request to the contracting officer if you've got subcontractors that are small businesses you're going to want to ask about that because i'm putting in a 3610 request what about your subcontractors have you done a sweep of your subcontractors and if you are a subcontractor have you notified the, the large prime that you have a 3610 claim coming you need to be proactive and do that and get them on notice that you want to participate at least in their 3610 claim to the federal government and go back and you're looking at cost reimbursable contracts on subcontractors A year from now, two years from now. You're going to want to inquire about the 1102, 11 monies that they may have received. And the question I would have as an auditor is, You're looking at potentially did they put it on the balance sheet or not? How am I going to discover they received 1102 monies or not and that that their overhead rates should include some type of a credit? We're going to establish in the account structure again, we're going to establish some expense accounts for the paid leave, but you're also going to have expense accounts for personal protective equipment, plant rearrangement. You may have costs for... You know, running a second shift or the second or third shift because you've got a social distance people. So, that, so there's a lot of costs that are going to be incurred as a result of this that you're going to have to account for. And the question becomes, how am I going to allocate that cost out to contracts? Because I can only get for most of us on on this podcast we're federal we're listening because we're a federal government contractor, we're getting potentially thirty six ten money. We're not getting the eleven o two money as a small business that maybe everybody else is getting, so we're getting the the thirty six ten money, and I've got to think about I'm going to get the salary costs. how am I going to allocate those salary costs? And then how am I going to get recovery for all of those other costs that I potentially incur? The plexiglass shields, the personal protection equipment, the plant rearrangement, inefficiencies in production. With the exception of inefficiencies in production, the other costs we may be thinking about put those into overhead or GNA. If I can put them there, I at least get recovery against my cost reimbursable contracts now through adjustment of the overhead rates. So that may, albeit even, you know, a half a year is already over. The other option, go that way, would be if I can't get the 3610 money, do I prepare a request for equitable adjustment? Do I want to go down that path of an REA? You know, the question becomes how much cost do I really have? Is it worth going to an REA? And how is the how is the contracting officer going to treat that REA after they just gave me potentially some 3610 money? So those are things that you gotta think about in terms of the agency and contracting officer that you're working with and how much of the COVID nineteen costs cannot be recovered either through my overhead and G&A rates or allocation to the contracts and then a 3610 claim against those contracts. contracting officer, when they get that 3610 request, they will, by that point in time, have determined that you're an affected contractor, that you've met the requirements of the new DFARS cost principle. They will have to prepare a formal contract modification, adding a line item. And this is contract by contract. So if you've got a lot of contracts. This is going to be time-consuming. This is going to be an administrative exercise for you. And the question now becomes, am I going to have another COVID event? Because this covers costs up through September 30th. There's been talk about there's going to be a second wave of COVID coming this fall. Do I wait and prepare one thirty-six ten claim now or later? Do I do I hold all my costs and perform one claim at a later date? What's going to be the appetite of the contracting officer? If I want to prepare two claims contract by contract, one now and one in the fall, there's probably not going to be a, a huge excitement on the contracting officer's part to have to mod the contracts twice have I gone out and swept for subcontractors? If I put my 3610 claim in now and I get a 3610 request from a subcontractor, obviously, again, the 3610 money is permissive. It's not mandatory. You know, my subcontractor, you're too late. You should have given it to me before and I could have done something with it. You're now as a subcontractor. I don't really want to have to go back and go to the contracting officer and mod the contracts again, so I'm gonna force you to go to an REA as a subcontractor. And then you think about if I also wait on that 3610 money, this is subject to availability of funding. If the 3610 money gets used up, your contracting officer is going to have to look for other available money within the agency to pay your request. And that's probably what the tight budgets not going to happen, I would suspect. Assuming everything goes according to plan, you've got a 3610 request that's been approved. The contracting officer is going to put a new line item in, one for fixed price, one for your cost reimbursable contracts, one for your time and material contracts. And then once that occurs, you'll be able to invoice against those single contract line items. Things that you're not going to have in that 3610 claim, personal protection equipment, cleaning services, supplies, ODCs, maybe employee connectivity at home. Uh, I talked about plant rearrangements and additional shifts, inefficiency, because I'm running smaller lots through the facility, through the manufacturing facility. I may have subcontractor costs. And, you know, I may want profit or fee on all of those costs. If I want profit or fee or some of these other costs that are not recoverable, maybe through the overhead, I'm going to have to prepare a request for equitable adjustment. That's just in itself. It will be a time consuming process to get through and get paid on that. So that's Todd. There's some of your questions. That's kind of the the overview of the 1102 and 1106 money and the 3610 money and how a contractor can go about recovery.
0: 3610, not an automatic. So. No,
1: it's not. All right. No, it's not. i I've, you've got to. It's permissive contracting officer doesn't have to give you the 3610 money. And then you would have to go if you want recovery, you've got to go for a request for equitable adjustment.
0: And it's not on profit or fee.
1: That's correct. For the the 1102 and the 3610, no profit or fee. So the important point there is when I go for reimbursement on time and materials at those rates, I'm, re- I'm looking at the employee payroll costs. I'm not looking up at the loaded up cost, otherwise a T&M that includes profit or fee. And I won't get profit or fee on any other cost unless I'm going for a request for equitable adjustment.
0: And it also covers costs through September 30th at this point in time.
1: Yeah. There's been some talk that Congress may extend that. Don't know. That's anybody's guess. First in are going to potentially get their requests covered until the government runs out of that money. HHS and Homeland Security received the most of the 3610 money as agencies. Right. DoD, didn't, DOD didn't get a whole lot. You want to think about claiming that money sooner rather than later.
0: Now the, this if I if I'm not mistaken covers both hard costs like um uh, materials things along that line as well as soft costs so it's engineering if you had to reconfigure your plant configuration comply with covid-19 standards things like that is that correct
1: No you're not going you're only going to get your payroll costs under 3610 and the government says the overhead associated with it so when i think of that i'm thinking you know fringe benefits costs a fringe application but there's a potential you could go with a full plan overhead or a gna that you know that would you know there's nothing that explicitly says you can't claim that but that's going to be a debate with your contracting officer as to whether you get it and the plant rearrangement costs I would put that into, if it's not significant, if you're not going for an REA, I would build that into your overhead or your g and at least you're going to get some recovery on your cost reimbursable contracts for that. Makes sense. I can't get plant rearrangement under 3610 money.
0: So that going to 1102 or 1106? Well,
1: eleven oh two, uh, you're gonna get uh payroll costs, you're gonna get rent, you're gonna get uh, you know, mortgage interest, you're gonna get utilities, but that's applicable to small businesses, and you don't have to be a federal government contractor under eleven oh two or eleven oh six. That's where we saw the Ruth Chris's franchises that were out recovering that money. Right. And they were able to do that because they changed. It was for 500 employees or less. You typically include affiliates in that size determination, except they excluded the NIAC codes for the hospitality industry. So hotels, motels, and uh, and uh, restaurants.
0: Okay. Well, very good, Paul. I appreciate your time this, this today. Clarification on different cost recovery that contractors can go after is there uh, any any little word of advice quickly what uh, you might want to leave with
1: well I, I guess don't forget about your other your other avenues of recovery so think about your billing rates. So FAR 42.7 says that you update those when you have a significant over or under billing indication. So if I've got a lot of COVID costs that I'm putting into overhead or GNA, I may want to update my billing rates. Make sure that you're following what's going on with limitation of funds, limitation of cost on your flexibly priced contracts. You've got an increase in the progress billing rates, so up to 90% now for large business concerns, 95% for small. So go after that. Make sure you're looking at your forward pricing because you still have a TINA requirement to disclose current, accurate, and complete information. What's this doing to your forward pricing? So all of those things you should be looking at for to make sure you're recovering all your cost.
0: Thank you, Paul, for joining me today. Uh, should anybody want to get a hold of you directly, Paul, how would they do so?
1: I'm with Capital Edge Consulting. My email address is pbailey@capitaledgeconsulting.com.
0: Thank you, Paul. Should you have other topics you want to discuss in the podcast please send me a note at todd at fedpubseminars.com. And until next time, stay safe, keep your distance, and read the far.